one. Recording in progress. Yeah, it's still, I still heard the recording in progress. That's yeah, all right. I know what I'll do next time, though. It's uh, Swing Thoughts. Off to another fantastic start. Tim O'Connor, I'm Humble Howard, golf spiritual leader. And this is the award-winning podcast uh, brought to you by some very fine people. Hi, Tim. Hey, Howard. Good morning. Jonathan Wong Apparel. Uh, first question Tim asked me today was, are we wearing the same color? I'm like, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> Don't know. Because we're, we're colorblind folks. No, we're color right. challenged to use the vernacular yeah. of the day. I'll tell you one. Sometime I'll tell you a story about the uh, the head the, the head doctor for Transport Canada, the aviation division, called me personally because he said to me, "You are the most colorblind pilot we've ever tested." And uh, he said, "How do you land a plane at night?" I said, "Well, they're not using red and green flags anymore. It's not World War Two." Um, okay, Jonathan Wong is what we're wearing. Jonathan Wong Apparel, all the great uh, brands, uh, Zero Restriction, Beach Ratty, uh, Fairway and Green, and so much more. And, of course, this podcast powered by TaylorMade Golf. Uh, later on in the show, we've got some TaylorMade stuff to give away. Yes, we do. It's caps and balls for the U.S. Open. And, of course, those balls, the TP5, or those uh, little picks are cool. And, of course, we'll talk about the amazing tailor-made Sim 2 equipment, including the driver hybrid and uh, three-wood that we're, uh, you're, we're using. All new tailor-made uh, uh, technology. Find out more at tailormadegolf.ca. All right. Uh, our guest today has been on the program before. We're a little rushed because uh, he's got to get to do what he does best. He's a master teaching professional a member of the PGA of America and uh, proprietor of the GolfZone.com. Is it .com, George? I want to make sure I get that right. It's, um, it's GolfZoneProShop.com. Okay. Hey, George. Good morning. Good morning. You're going to be teaching this morning as of uh, about a half an hour from now. Do you know? Yes, all day. Do you know before you start, like, does this student coming up to begin with a good player, a beginner player? And my question is, do you care or does it matter? Uh, I don't care. It, do, it doesn't really matter. Um, I enjoy uh, beginning players a lot, players that have never played before because they have no um, neural patterns and it's just easy for them to discover things. And yeah. There's really nothing to undo, but uh, it's all fun. It's all good stuff. George, do you ever... Well, thanks for um, coming in, George. <laughs> that was all we... Really, all we wanted to ask was that. And uh, now that that's... You know you what? Later. Now that that's been answered, you go on and be good, my friend. <laughs> well, George... So I want to give a little bit of background. So uh, George and I became friends through uh, Fred Shoemaker. Um, George, I think we... I think we our paths had crossed maybe on Zoom or on the phone or something before the coaching summit uh, that we went in 2017. But regardless, we've become friends. And one of the coolest things, and I think this, our listeners will relate to this, is that a lot of times they'll go to a lesson and they'll want some kind of an answer, you know, something to be fixed. You know, they got a slice going or something else. And I used to always think as a coach, I had to provide some kind of answer. If someone showed up at the lesson, they needed to leave with something so that they were fixed. And 
George, you have a very different approach than the usual coaching paradigm about having something that you're going to give them to fix their problem. Can you just kind of elaborate on your approach? Yeah. When you start with a lesson for the first time, you always ask the same questions, really. Like, what do you want? What are you here for? What would you like to do in the lesson? And for some people, that's an interesting question because they think you should tell them what you should be doing. Um, most times in the beginning, the answer is always the same when you ask the question. The, question, the answer, you know, I want to be, I just want to get better or um, I want to be consistent. So, yeah, that's the, ner- that's the word that comes up all the time. Yeah. So, you know, part of my job is to, is to work with points of view and maybe uh, challenge cultural beliefs. So my answer could be maybe it's, is it possible that it's impossible to be consistent? And they say, well, what do you mean? Well, <laughs> it, it really is possible being consistent. I mean, neuroscientists will tell you that uh, we're designed not to be consistent. The reason for that is because our body parts are wear out faster. We do everything exactly the same way. So generally, uh, we put down a little bell curve. We say, hey, what do you, what do you, what's your average score? And, and we might draw a little bell curve. We might say, they might say, hey, shoot 100. That's my kind of average. And then we'll put some scores on one side. We'll go 95, 90, 85. And then we put some scores on the other side, 105, 110, 115. And, uh, you know, the 85 is completely consistent with the 115 in a bell curve. If you're averaging 100. It doesn't mean you're going to shoot 100 all the time. It's uh, sometimes you get a little better, sometimes you get a little worse, and that's what the way golf is. So I always ask one question. It's an interesting question. I say to my student, listen, I'm the Wizard of Oz, and today I'm going to grant you one wish. And here's, here's, here's I'm going to give you the wish. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to grant you. The rest of your life, you shoot a hunter. The rest of your life, every single time you play golf, every time you're going to shoot 72, even par. Whatever the par is, you're going to shoot even par. If you play a 1,000 rounds, you're going to shoot even par the rest of your life. Will you take that wish? And they say, well, hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then we go this into is like thing. selling your soul to the devil at the crossroads. Right. George McNamara <laughs> went down. You're the devil went down to George McNamara. Yeah. Well, so, but then after you talk about it a little bit, they realize that, wait a minute, I shoot 72 every time. Right. Well, that means I have no chance to shoot 71 ever. You're going to shoot 72 every single time you play. You see, the reality is that would be unbelievably boring. As weird as that sounds, it would be boring. And who would take that? Howard, I don't think you It'd would be take consistent. It. Well, I mean, yeah. it's an, I, I love the question, especially though. Yeah. I, it's interesting when you're asking that of somebody that averages 100 as opposed to as somebody who might be averaging a little bit lower. But from now on, every time you come on the show, this is what we're <laughs> going to play. <laughs> hey, mister, how would you like to shoot 72? Uh, every time you play for the rest of your life, but you have to vote, vote Republican. Sorry, George. <laughs> Sorry, pal. Didn't mean to get freaky there with you. All right. So at, when you ask that question of people, the idea being? Yeah, I'd be, I, that consistency is really not possible. And if it were possible, it'd be boring. Sure. And for most people, I guarantee there's no one to shoot 72 every single time. There'd just be no challenge to it. You would just go out and shoot 72 every mm-hmm. time. So, uh, you know, the reality is I don't think anybody would take that deal. Even a hundred shooter after a while would figure out, you know, that's kind of boring to mm-hmm. do the same thing over and over again, which kind of goes back to the question of consistency. You know, do you really want to be consistent? I mean, I know people say, yeah, I, don't, I, want, to, I want to shoot 110. But the fact is on a bell curve of, with your average score, 110 is perfectly consistent with 90. It just is. So somebody, so let's, let's pick up on that point that, you know, teaching the game, le- learning the game is difficult, and teaching it well is also difficult. 
the shoemaker model, the George McNamara model, uh, how Tim uh, talks to his students, um, is a little bit different. But but people are seekers by nature. Golfers are such you know uh, we att- this game attracts such a type A obsessive personality, and then it gives us this game which promotes obsessiveness. Um, so someone's coming to you at nine o'clock this morning for whatever reason they're seeking something. And it's hard not to have them leave with a goodie bag of something. But I guess in your world, the idea is they create it themselves. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, everybody's different. And there is a goodie bag. There's a goodie bag of awareness. You know, can, can you feel the club head? Can you uh, aim in a line? Can you get solid contact? Or can you swing with freedom? There's a goodie bag of stuff based on what it is that they're looking for. And I, I just... And I've been doing this a long time. I just, I know there's a correlation between as your, as your awareness grows, so does your golf game. So, you know, you can come for a lesson for information, but in my experience, information is the, uh, is the last stop on the, the road to learning. Um, but yeah, or you can come to, to, to a lesson and develop your awareness and grow your awareness and any variable that you so choose. I've just never seen anybody not get better if they hang with awareness of the ability to feel something rather than just getting a bucket of balls and putting them in a tray and whacking them out there and look at the ball and the ball gives them their The outcome gives them feedback. So, you know, if the outcome always gives you feedback, then pretty much you're going to always be looking for different things. But if you can make, make a golf swing and have some intention, go to your intention and then go to the outcome, then I think you're going your awareness. I think you're going your golf game. It's just a different way of doing it. I, I mean, I have a, I have this camera behind me. I can see everybody here at the golf zone hit balls and I watch people and, they're all doing the very best they can. Everybody's doing the best they can. And they're trying hard and they're working hard and they're hitting buckets and buckets and buckets of balls. But the reality is it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many buckets of balls you hit. You know, if you gave me 25 quality balls where you had an attention and we're growing your awareness, you'd be far better off than, than buying 15 buckets of balls and staying there all day. We have a we have a, a price here for all day long. You can hit balls at the golf zone all day. $48, come in, hit as many balls as you want. And people wow. do it. So at, wow. the end of the day, at the end of the day, a lot of times when somebody comes back in and they're dead tired and their hands are bleeding, I ask them, hey, what'd you learn out there today? And they don't have an answer. So they've been out there all day and they don't have an answer to what they learned. All they know is their hands hurt and they're tired <laughs> That's and right. sweaty. So, but the, is the, that the, when you give them the deal? Hey, son, I tell you what. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so. Uh, I mean, Your hands are bleeding, but they could be. I'm yeah. sorry, Tim, go ahead. Yeah. What did you want to say? Well, George, you mentioned like different and the, the the culture of golf is that you know I'm going to do something that I see some pro I see on YouTube doing or I hear Nick Faldo saying see how he turns his left hip to start his backswing see how the right elbow falls in front of the hip or something most golfers are trying to do something to match some model to do it right yeah what is the difference in, in what you're talking about growing your awareness and trying to do it right to match the models that are in front of us. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think YouTube has, has uh, grown my teaching business tremendously and I'm not on YouTube. Um, people come in there. So, I mean, everybody, you know, they watch YouTube and people are trying to tell them what they think is the right way to do it. And uh, there's a lot of great stuff on YouTube. I'm not saying there's not, but how do you interpret that stuff? And, and how do you know it fits you? How do you know the person on YouTube is, um, can deal with whatever it is that you should be dealing with in your golf swing. How, how would you know 
you're an individual person. How's somebody on YouTube going to say, hey, this is try this. It's going to work. So people go from YouTube to YouTube to YouTube and they think they have it. And eventually they just get so frustrated that uh, it's uh, they, they come in. And, uh, for me, it just sets an opening. Oh, wow. like, it's, suppose we could put YouTube aside for a second. Would, would you be willing to try something different? Would you be to try some awareness and some ability to be present to things instead of trying to do something would you be willing to hang with your own ability, whatever your own ability is? Everybody has a golf swing. There is no one that's ever walked through the store. I've been here seven years. There's no one that's walked through the door that doesn't have a golf swing. No one. I can show you videos of people that look like the biggest clutches in the whole world. They have a swing. They just haven't discovered critical variables of that swing. That's all. Well, and uh, the game is so intoxicating because that person that bought the all-you-can-beat you know, uh, bucket, all-day bucket of balls. I love that. Yeah. You should call it all you can beat. You can use that, George. Um, <laughs> you can see it's like a play on words. And by the way, when you were, when you were just yeah, just in case you guys didn't get that, when you okay, were uh, you. when you were talking about going from video to video to video and trying to pick up pointers on YouTube, that's why I gave up porn, George, because I was like, I'm not, I'm not learning anything. This isn't applying to me and my skill set. Right. Um, the intoxicating. Back to back to the serious golf talk. Uh, the intoxicating thing about the game is once you might get someone's head around the idea that they have a golf swing, that there's some innate ability and they, they haven't discovered it yet, then they have to go and, and find a way to use that motion in a reliable manner. Not, I, don't, I remember uh, consistency is a word that we used at the beginning of the show, but you know, reliability is what somebody wants, at least the ability to hit a golf ball somewhat. Uh, reliably, and then to teach them that the game has nothing to do with swinging a golf club. It's such a dichotomy. It's like almost analogous when Ben Hogan said that putting shouldn't be part of the game, that swing teaching has nothing to do with with playing golf. Yeah, I mean, it does have something to do. I mean, you have to be able to swing to play. Yes. But but, but you are right in a sense that... that uh, uh, you know, I, I, I apologize. I shouldn't say, not, I shouldn't say it has nothing to do, but there's swing t- uh, playing, swing teaching, and then golf playing. And yes, you need to have a swing to play the game, but isn't it It's such a great sport for that, that once you learn the motion, now you've got to learn how to play the game. No question about it. I mean, there's a place for learning and there's a place for playing, and uh, the two are usually pretty separate. It's very hard to go out, and, and, we, and I do it with my students all the time. You know, the stuff that we're doing is training and you're learning. Well, when you go play, it's a whole different thing. You can't be, be – uh, you can still be – you can still have an attention. You can still pay attention to something as you swing a golf club on a golf course. But it can't be the idiosyncrasies of breaking down a golf swing. Because right. Howard, you know you can't play golf like that. No yeah. one can play golf like that. It's impossible. But, George, what do you say to, to, to the listeners – who go like, okay, I'm just going to say today I'm going to react to target. I'm going to try and hit shots. But, you know, they're just, it's not working that day. It's either like they're hitting a big slice or something or hitting a dead pull. What do they do when they're playing the game? I mean, they're frustrated. They don't want to just keep hitting it all over the, the, the country. How do you then kind of rein it in during the game so you can start to to, to start play some keep it on the planet yeah well i mean i think it's an interesting question and i think it's a lot about point of view 
you know, in the very beginning, when we start working with somebody, we're asking what the key to learning is. And obviously the key to learning is failure. You don't learn anything in this life without failing first. So suppose your point of view were different. Suppose I'm hitting it sideways in the golf course. And, you know, I could say to a person, you know, you have some real opportunities for learning here because you're hitting it sideways. Or you could be just frustrated and, and learn nothing from it. Uh, you still have a round of golf. It's still enjoyable. Whether you hit the ball sideways or not, you still can learn from it if you have that. Okay, so let me – so George – Tell me how someone who's hit three drives, he slays three drives in a row. Right. What can he do in that in those moments to learn from that? What what's the opportunity yeah. rather than resign and give up? Yeah. You know, well, what how can he learn from that? First of all, I mean there's a there's on every shot there's a, a natural feeling of either joy or unhappiness for everybody. Doesn't matter who you are. If you hit a good shot, you're unbelievably happy. If you hit, if you're at a bad shot, you're unbelievably unhappy, or disgusted, or frustrated. So that's just part of the game, one way or the other, regardless of how bad the shot is. So if you get that going in, that you know you're going to hit some days, you're just not going to be as good as other days. Right? You're not going to be consistent. So could you accept the fact that uh, you know, hey, for today I just don't have it. I'm not going to really change it on the golf course. Very few people do. Some people might be able to do one little thing on a golf course and get by. That's possible. Um, but for the most part, most people can't. When you're playing bad, generally, they, they play bad. I hear a lot that people have the worst front nine they've ever had in their life. That's right. The back nine. They say hell with it, and they play the best back nine they've ever had. So there's something to that. You know, there's something to the, the emotional part of it. And I'm not saying that you can't get frustrated. Or you all do. I'm not saying that. Uh, but can you live with your frustration? Can you understand that's just part of the game? And, uh, you know, it, it, can, it can make the day awful or it can be, you know, I, I get it. I, so we'll go back to the range and we'll see what happens. with Do you want to answer that, George? Uh, no, no, we'll just let it go. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, do you have your radio on as well? <laughs> I haven't had to say that to somebody for a while, but I can kind of hear your, there's like you know, uh, some music. I have Sinatra, I have Sinatra oh, okay. at a very low tone in the background. Sorry, oh, I, I wasn't. This wasn't my original position. I oh no, I. That's fine. Right. I get it. Yeah. Well, it's funny because if uh, I, I would say if somebody's hitting, you know, three drives in a row sideways, maybe on the fourth one, don't hit driver. That would be my first thing. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, it, it, it's yeah. interesting you say that about it. It's it seems that a lot of people have that story of having a horrible front nine, and then they sort of go, well, uh, they somehow uh, just throw away expectations. And then they have a, a very good back nine or a, a normal back nine. But, you know, yeah, there, there's also something to be said for, yeah, I don't even know the regular phrase where, you know, everyone finds their, you know, water finds its level. If somebody's having a bad front nine, I might say to them, well, you know, chances are, given that you normally shoot 85, if you shot, you know, 44 on the front nine you might shoot you're you're likely you know chances are over time going to shoot 41 on the back nine and so sometimes knowing that and this is a a a mental thing in terms of being comfortable with where your average is so that when you are struggling on the front nine you know the old saying everyone's eventually everyone's handicap shows up good and bad you know a lot of people have had the uh, situation where they're playing amazing on the front nine and then all of a sudden, you know, expectations start to change and their regular handicap shows up. Yeah, I mean, you call it a comfort zone. People have a comfort zone. When right. Like, oh, the question is, how could you get out of your comfort zone? And maybe, hey, you can take a look at things in a different way. 
you know, why did you have such a bad front nine? Was it expectations? Was it your tense? Could you check out your tension level? What was your tension for playing? There's, lo- there's lots of ways in golf to go back over the round, good or bad, yeah. and sort of take a look at it and to learn from it. Or you just say, hell, it was a rotten day, let it go. But, but there is an opportunity where things aren't going so great to learn from that. And, uh, well, I think what you're saying and what I'm trying to get across is the perspective you know, a shift in perspective is such a great thing to have in this game, which is so hard to do. And again, I say this from many, many, many rounds of trial, tribulation, and chaos. Having experienced that, and we all have, but you ask, what do you learn from a bad round? What you learn from a bad round, and, and this will be part of the discussion once you uh, get off to your lesson, but I think what you learn from a bad round is similar from a, to a, a good round is that you know, anything on any given day can show up. And at any given moment in the round, anything can show up. And one of the things we've talked a lot about, uh, Tim and I, over time, George, is that cutting yourself off from possibility is the problem with a lot of golfers. Because they, they, become, a, they become the story that they're living the story that they're telling themselves inside their head. And what do you think about that in terms of golfers as, uh, you say, the culture of golf, Tim? But that is part of the culture of golf is, you know, being part of the story as it's happening. You can see people developing, oh, well, this is the day. I've, oh, I was three-putt this whole, I hate, them. you know, all that stuff that we tell ourselves. Yeah, well, I, I think you're exactly right. And um, we all have cultural beliefs, as we said earlier. And I think... Uh, our job as coaches is to challenge those cultural beliefs. Is it really true that you have to keep your head down? Is it really true you have to keep your left arm straight? Is it really true if you hit 27 buckets of balls, you're going to get better? You know, all those things that we people believe, and they, they believe them. It's, it's true for them. So our job is to maybe uh, maybe put in some possibilities. Is it possible to do it a different way? Would you be would you up for doing it differently than you're doing it right now? And, and I think it's just my experience is people like that. They, they love other possibilities. Yes. They don't want to be doing the same old, same old, same old every single time. They don't see an end to that. They've done that over and over again, and it stayed the same. This way, there's some possibilities that they've never experienced before. So our lessons really are about possibilities. At the end of the lesson, you know, we start with a lesson, what's possible? And if you don't, if you leave the lesson without any possibilities, the same, then it's been a failure. Mm-hmm. I have done my job as a coach. Interesting. Uh, um, well, so much of what you're do, so much what you're doing there is challenging a belief system, and the belief system of most golfers is, uh, I have to improve, I have to get better, and when I get better, I'll be happy. I mean, that's like a whole other thing, but that's you know, when you talk to people, there's a lot of people. What we're talking about, they go. I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. If I'm hitting a forearm badly, there's got to be a right way to do it. And God damn it, I'm going to find it. Yeah. Well, if you, if you listen to Fred, you know, he tells a story about the teaching summit where he talked to a thousand golf pros and he got up to the teaching summit and he said, you know, I have a, we have probably the highest percentage of good golfers in one place. And I've talked to you for the last couple of days. Are you happy with your game? Are you contented? You see, they're just as unhappy as everybody else. And so are a lot of tour pros and happy because whatever level you're at, you want to be at a different level. Yes. That's when it gets back to my original premise of if I could you shoot 72 every single day, would you be happy? And I know for certain, maybe there's some people that would, but I, I think, I, I think in our, in our nature is to learn and improve and 
I think uh, boredom sets in fast for a lot of people. And I, I think it would set it for most people. I agree. I'm smiling because uh, a couple months ago, during one of our lockdowns, we had a pandemic up here. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but uh, we had one. And uh, my, uh, my, I have, a, I have a, a spare room. I call it golf lab. My girlfriend calls it the golf nursery because it's just like, you know, foam rollers and Swiss balls and training aids and resistance bands. And I was in there one day and she came in. And I was working on, you know, sp- stretching and she goes i don't understand she goes you're a pretty good golfer aren't you i go yeah not bad she goes i don't understand you why can't you just be happy being as good as you are and i went just close the door just <laughs> look away woman why can't you nobody wants to hear that <laughs> why can't you be happy just being as good as you are i was like you don't know anything about this game right. yeah or human nature right but i do believe the game attracts and maybe you can both speak to this. It does attract a certain kind of person that wants to. Again, it's just I, I, it's not an it's not a coincidence that golfers are, as a lot we're pretty obsessive and and driven people. Yeah, I don't see well, that totally. As, and I, I don't see that as much as you might think. I see people playing for all different reasons, and part of my first lesson is, hey, what do I do this for? I mean, I'm playing because I want to play with my husband. I'm trying to make him happy. Of course, that's the worst possibility for a, for a coach. Wait a second. You've talked to a woman who's, who's trying to make her husband happy? What? Yeah, she what? wants to play with her husband, so he's, he's making her do it. So, you know, <laughs> so, so i got to get her pumped up. So you're, you're teaching a unicorn? Wait a second, George. Yeah. So, you know, for that, that, that woman, we have to maybe shift some, some points of view to see if we can get her excited about it for, for her own. I'm, I might say to her, hey, listen, um, forget your husband for a second. How about if I told you out of this lesson we can grow some awareness? <clears throat> that might be important to important to her or not important. Right. Either way, we have to get some other reason for applying. But the, the question is, why do people play golf? And it's an interesting question. And um, I, I have a lot of people playing golf because they like the beauty of it, because they like the camaraderie of it. It's uh, with, the, with, the, with COVID, it gets people outside. There's lots of reasons, you know, that you have avid golfers and you have casual golfers. Right. And uh, no, you're right. Is, but we have none of those people on who listen to our show. <laughs> yeah, people I, I, listen to our no, show. And George has got a point. Not everyone is no, absolutely. You do as type A is um, I, I, a lot of golf. I would just say, en general, a lot of golfers tend to be that type of person. But you're right. There's a lot of. I'm sure there's a coal. I haven't met him, but there's a I'm sure a lot of people that are going. Oh, it's beautiful being outside, and isn't this wonderful? <laughs> yeah, but the the game does attract. Folks who tend to be, as as you've said, obsessive, type A, and this is this is a reason they get better at yeah. this game. However, at a certain point, that works against them. At a certain point, that strategy of work hard, grind, hate that word, that eventually fails, and they get in their they get in their own way, and it actually be, a lot of times it becomes a crisis. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, it's so also this not morning. Fun. It's also oh, absolutely. Fun. Well, the timing of this is really interesting. So I was we only have George some, for seven more minutes, by uh, the way. Yeah. So thank you, Howard. I'll just be <laughs> truncate this. But I was rereading an email that I sent to George about three years ago when I had a freaking meltdown on the golf course. And I had a story going that, look, I put I, the same story that – other recovering perfectionists have is like, look, I put in all this time. Look how much I practice, how much I know, and I'm still not getting better. When am I going to get this infernal game? 
And I think that is a very common experience for people. Absolutely. You know, you just, you just get to this point where you just kind of go, damn it, all this hard work. And what does it get me? Uh, aggravation for a lot of people. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but, George, I'm asking you for your wisdom at this point. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I think you have the answer to that question. You know, there's, there's a practice, there's effective practice. No correlation between the amount of practice and getting better. No correlation between how many balls you hit getting better. You know, if you, we, people come for less and we put a little circle and we say, here's the, here's the game of golf. You have, uh, you have 30% uh, full swings. You got 70% pitching, chipping, putting, sand play. What do you want to work on? Oh, give me the 30%. Is there the 30%. Right? I want to see the ball go 70%. far. Yeah. So if somebody comes and said, listen, I, I shoot the, uh, I shoot 105. I want to break 100. Great, let's go. So let's go pot and chip, and you don't have to worry about your long game because you could break 100 if, if you know if you shoot 105 and you got better at chipping and putting, you break it in no time. That's how easy it is to get better. <laughs> no, you know, I know. It's, it's it's so simple. It really is simple. It's right in front of them, but nobody wants to do that. You know, you know it's right. interesting. We you know I I don't teach, but I've had a lot of people come to me and ask me about you know their game and what do I think they can do, and I say, well, you know, at some point. You're going to have to fall in love with the short shots of golf. You're just going to have, if you don't, you can be a good ball hitter and have the odd good around. But that, that eventually, it might take some people their entire golfing lives. But, you know, I do, we've, we've had this conversation on the show that the only time you ever see most people at the club practice on the uh, putting green and the chipping green is the night before the club championship. Yeah. Like they're like they're cramming for an exam, yeah. but but you're right. Well, you know, you, if you tell somebody who shoots 97 that they could shoot 87, if they got up and down a couple more times and stopped three putting every second hole, they'd be yeah. like, okay, yeah, I'll go hit some drivers. Yeah, yeah that's really what they want. So uh, you know, you have to go with what they want for sure. Yes, yes, you do. Well, so I got before before I go, um, I, I need to tell you one really cool story. Yes, please. Uh, this happened last evening. I was gripping a, a club for someone in our club repair room, and uh, I have a customer by the name of uh, Scott Skiles who poked his head in the door. Had no idea I was doing this with you guys this morning, and he said to me, "Hey, you know that uh, that link you have on your website, that podcast, that thing that you did one time?" I said, "Yeah, yeah." He said, "Well, listen, I've listened to it. I really, really enjoyed it. But I got to tell you, I enjoyed the podcast so much that I decided to start from the beginning." He said, I'm now on the end of 2018. I'm listening to every one. So you guys are doing a great job. And that's that's a story you probably would have no no idea that you're having that kind of effect on people. But he went to the beginning and is listening to every podcast that you guys have done. Well, let's do this. What's his name? Because when he catches. Yeah, Scott Skiles. Scott Skiles. So Scott is somewhere in the past right now listening to our old shows. And one day in the future, he'll catch up to this one. And we say, welcome, soldier of chaos. <laughs> yes. This is, Scott- this, is, this is like extraterrestrial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. No, I thought it was really cool stuff. And a testament to you guys. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't even know you were doing it in 2018. He said he's at the end of 2018. So I don't know when you started. I don't know how many he's listened to. But 2016, I think. I think that's so somewhere around there. A bunch of them. Well, yeah. George, I, I mean, and you've you've been featured that's on. Nice. I think this is your third appearance, at least. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I'll put you in friend of show territory. Oh, for sure. Uh, and thanks for your time. Uh, have a good lesson today. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. And, and I think you're, uh, you've made a quite an impression. You'll probably get a call from some people saying, I'll take that 72 every day I play. I'll, whatever I have to do. Here's one of my children. Hey, Howard, congratulations on your 69 also. I heard thanks, about pal. That. Well, I'll tell you what. When you listen back to this show, you're going to hear about a round. Uh, I, I'm going to spend more time talking on the round uh, of 87 that I also shot this week. Very, very cool. That's okay, because that's where the real learning is, children. Uh, hey, listen, thanks for having me, Tim. I'll talk to you down the road and have a good show. All right, all right my friend. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. There's George. Just let him out of the meeting there. There we go. Yeah, the uh, George referenced uh, round I had. Uh, let me just give you this, and then you can comment. Uh, you and I have already spoke about the round, but uh, in the last, uh, I don't know, the last. If, if Scott Skiles is listening to 2018, I've been trying to get my handicap down for some time and and I found out a few months ago I had already achieved <laughs> already achieved that goal I didn't even realize it like I've been wanting to be a scratch golfer or to say I'm a scratch for so long and then I was speaking at Lou Stagner at decade yeah there's the first decade reference have a drink it's not going to be the last I promise you anyway he goes Howard you're already scratch and I go what do you mean he goes well here's the numbers here's what you have to shoot to be scratch your average score is and you're a scratch I went oh, okay well it's a little anticlimactic but in the last, so you weren't all of a sudden. You weren't all of a sudden like a happy bluebirds alighted on your arms, zippity doo dah. Yeah. Well, I you know you the, know the the, the the I'll be happy when thing. <laughs> funny you say that because I was always the I'll be happy when guy until you know the last three or four five years of my life. I mean, you know, I I'll say this that getting to scratch, which is now where I am officially, uh, yeah. my handicap just dropped to like a rock this week. But but it, it's it's the being comfortable through all facets and phases of the last three or four years, and just little by little by little by little. And uh, I'll just say, I know I want to I want to do I do want to talk about shooting sixty nine because it's fun and it was cool and oh, and there I'm were sure lots of learning in it. Hear about it. But I will also tell you that I I had a, a round in the middle of this week because I played Saturday, Monday. 36 Tuesday, 18 Wednesday, and, and 18 on Thursday. It's a lot of golf. And um, I had played this 36-hole tournament on Tuesday. Great tournament at Brantford. And if anyone's listening, you ever get a chance to play that golf course. It is just minty. It's like, you know what it is, Timmy? It's like St. Thomas. It's got that same kind of feel. Well, in the af- Stanley Thompson. Yeah. In the afternoon round, they had, uh, it was interesting what they did. It was better ball in the morning, so we all played our own balls. In the afternoon, it was modified alternate shot, and they did that for a reason, because in between the rounds, they cut and rolled the greens again, and then it got windy, and then it got fast and shiny, and uh, my partner, who is a plus-two monster golfer, and I managed to shoot three over in the afternoon, and the only bogeys we made were three putts from, like, Hey, here's a 15-footer for birdie. Over to you with the 10-footer for par. Oh, it was it was really funny because we just got sort of like we sort of look at each other like, okay, here's your 9-footer now. Because you, it just it was it's impossible for people who play everyday speed of greens including myself to 
understand, and I watched the U.S. Open a little bit yesterday, to just really understand what super fast greens feel like. They're great because uh, you can sink a lot of longer putts, but they're also scary. Anyway, then I come to my golf course on Wednesday. I, I do the show, Humble and Fred show. I'm, I'm exhausted, Timmy. I get up. I, go, I have to race to the golf courses. I've got a match to play. And it's men's night, which I normally don't really care that much about. But I had to play this match. And the guy was a good player. And I just didn't have it. And I shot my highest round of golf since St. Thomas. But I can tell you this. This is the real learning for Howard Glassman. Is that I left the course. I was in a great mood. I was playing with one of my buddies, Paul Gortner. Laughing it up the entire way. I got destroyed in the match. You know, I, I lost four and three. And and if we had just been playing match play where, you know, you can give guys putts like, okay, just pick it up. I probably would have shot around 80 or 81. But it's men's night and you have to putt out everything. Right. So, I, and I wasn't, here's the point of this. After playing all that golf, especially the day before at our age, I just realized early on in that round, not only was I not really, forget my physical ability, I just didn't have any mental ability to focus beyond getting a sandwich and having some water on the golf course. But I can promise you this, on the 18th tee, Gortner pulls out his uh, PRGR monitor. And this is me. I'm about to shoot. I'm bogeying this hole for 87. But I'm in such a good mood. He pulls it out. I'm like, I, th- I think, my, I said, Gortner, my swing speed's faster than yours. And he's like 20 years younger than me. He's like, no, it's not. So he bombs one. And I get up there, and I, I get my swing speeds five miles an hour faster. But because he's so much more efficient, he's 20 yards by me. The point of this oh, yeah. is, I was still engaged in the round, having a fun time. I never moped. I never sulked. I never pouted. And I got to be honest with you, Tim. This is the God's honest truth. I was as proud of that round as I was of shooting 69. Because another version of me, when Scott Skiles first started listening to this show in 2016, now that he's catching up, there's another version of me that would have walked off that golf course. I guarantee it. Um, yeah, it was a little peculiar that I, I couldn't pull off a shot. And I was, you know, shooting 43 on the front nine and 44 on the back. Yeah, it was odd. And I might have been a, a tad kind of bewildered. But what I did is I, you want to talk about awareness. I knew I was tired. I knew that this was happening, and it was a bit of a drag because I think on most days I would have beat the guy that I that that we were I was playing against, but he didn't, and he shot seventy nine. wasn't like he had a great day. My point again is, I left the golf course once again, not wanting to punch myself in the face after shooting a round that was nearly twenty strokes higher than the last round I played on that golf course. So the moral of the story is. Um, the next day, which was yesterday, I had a great night's sleep Wednesday night because I was exhausted. I got up yesterday. Yeah. We, we were supposed to have a tournament yesterday, and one of the teams canceled. So we played anyway. And on the very first hole of yesterday's round, I hit a ball into a hazard, into the burn. And uh, I had to drop, and I was going to try and hit some hero shot over some trees. And I went, no, that's stupid. Then I pitched out. Remember the last round I played in this course? I'm shooting a million. I pitched out. And I hit the next shot to about nine feet and made the putt for bogey and then went on to, then I three putted the last hole for 71. So I can tell you that what I learned this week is that, yeah, you can shoot 87 when you're tired and you're not paying attention, but under, it just made me realize like, it's not just, it's, it's a physical game played outdoors 
And, you know, like I had no, um, I had nothing that stuck to me from shooting 87 the day before. Even when I hit that ball in the hazard yesterday on the first hole, because I felt fresh and I felt like sort of, you know, happy to be outside and it was just a great day. I went on to, I was, I two, I three putted twice on the back nine or I would have shot 69 again. How's, how wow. crazy is that? That, well, that's golf, man. It's just yeah. such an insane sport. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember last year, my, I think my best round last year was a, was a 75. And so the next game I played, I went, okay, well, today's going to be another 75 or so because I own golf now. <laughs> yeah. I am golf. <laughs> golf is my middle name. Exactly. And of course, my next round was a match against uh, Tom Nowak, who was like the defending club champion. And, you know, if I probably counted my shot, I was probably 85 that day. Yeah. And, but I was okay with it. But I don't have really much more to add to what you just said. I mean, that's golf. My goodness. And, and like, so you shoot your 69. I mean, did you drive home and was the, was the highway paved with gold and all the cars just parted way so that you could go through and Rachel gave you the biggest car <laughs> you ever got and life was better than the day before. And really, was your life that much different when you shot 87 than when you shot 69? Well, it's a great question, actually, because uh, so I, I we played and, and the thing about shooting the 69 was and, and I do want to talk a little bit about process during that and and what what oh, there's we lots of great stuff to learn from that yeah i was gonna say do i want to talk a little bit about what the swing thought nerds can can take away from it because I, there was a lot of you know you and i talked me and charlie talked about it Doolin called me um i'm just looking at my golf's canada scoring though and it's like my last six rounds 77 69 74 75 87 71 so who am i you know am i Am I a guy that shoots 87? No. Am I a guy that shoots 69? No. But I'm kind of in that cohort, right? So Friday night, <laughs> she's going to kill me for, for telling this story. But I'm going to tell it anyway. So Rachel, I pick her up. We come back to my radio house. radio show podcast we are. <laughs> I pick her up. Come back to my house. And that's again, it's Friday. I'm exhausted. It's, and, and, and I'm saying to her, it's like about 830 and I say, hey, do you want to watch? A, I said, it's a little bit late to start a movie. But I said, do you want to watch one of your shows? I'll, I'll watch whatever you want and watch. I said, if you want to just sit and read, that's fine. And she said, well, I, I would just like to talk. And I was like, oh, God. Really? <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, it's 8.30. We usually go to bed. Up, we usually go upstairs around 10. I'm like, there's going to be 90 minutes of talking here? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> So I was like, oh, okay. Anyway, it wasn't 90 minutes. But, but some, of the, some of what we talked about in that discussion, in that you know, man-woman discussion was, and, and you know, she said, you know, I, I don't need to hear. This is the, oh, she's going to laugh. She goes, I don't really need to hear. And, and I, my argument was, I don't talk about golf at all. And she's like, you talk about golf quite a bit. I go, no, I don't. Not anywhere near as much as I want to. So the takeaway was oh she doesn't God. want to hear about any round, every round I play, which, which is also bullshit. I don't tell her about every round. But anyway, that's just our stuff. So, of course, I go out the next day. <laughs> I shoot 69. It is not only the lowest round I've ever shot at Glencairn. It's my first time in the 60s in three years. It's only in my lifetime, my seventh time shooting in the 60s, and my very first time being in 60s, 61-year-old guy. 
and it's on Hustlers, and I win everything, and my score gets posted. I know all that stuff. So I come home on Saturday. She's like, so how was the day? I went, I'm not going to tell you. I will not be sharing any of this data with you. Anyway, I will talk to my friends about this blessed event. So to answer your question, so fast forward to shooting 87. On Wednesday, I shoot 87, leave the golf course, happy. Don't even, you know, I'm not even like, I'm not going to go hit balls for what? I go to Rachel's house. How was golf today? I go, well, you know, just whatever, Rachel. I don't really care to speak about this round. And then I told her, I, you know, I said, uh, yeah, I, uh, it's all the same. Real, to, to your point, she and I had, it was no different than her Her relationship to me as a person is, is no different when I shot 69 or 87. <laughs> then yesterday, she calls me. She goes, how was the day? I go, I was, was good. I had another decent round. She goes, oh, here we go. I go, you have no idea. <laughs> I said to her, what shooting? I said, you cannot even imagine what three putting the last hole to shoot 71 is. Okay, so forget it. Just forget it. I don't want to talk about it. This, this is like that marriage counselor video. Oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Oh, yeah, God, I should tell. Yeah, great. it was very, very that funny. Connor, I don't. What's his Connor last David? Name? Connor O David? Connor David? I think is no Connor O. Yeah, that doesn't matter. Connor O something. Yeah, he's the guy who does those video. He's done videos before the majors. He impersonates. He's got uh, a regular show on Golf Pass. If you're a Golf Pass uh, member, you can watch yeah. his uh, the Connor McDavid show. I think or something. We should know. That's that. a guy who plays for the Edmonton Oilers. Oh, okay. Um, anyways, <laughs> he's very good too. <laughs> yeah, at at uh, at hockey. Um. Yeah, you know, so to connect to what um, George was saying is that if you look at like, you know, what are the possibilities? The possibilities are I can shoot 69 and then I can shoot 87 and I won't punch myself in the face. Yeah, I, I would say that's great stuff. That's really I mean, that's, you know, golf, life, all of this kind of stuff. And that exemplifies what we've been talking about is is that a lot of the things are. You know, what's the story? You know, I shot 69. Whoa, I'm one hell of a golfer. And the other story could be I shot 87. I'm a failure at a not only as a golfer, <laughs> but as right. a human being. Oh, yeah. And so really, it, it, it shows that it's totally not true, that your identity, who you are, doesn't change with your golf score. And what George was talking about was busting out of that paradigm of – of to be a good golfer, I have to shoot this. I have to hit shots like this. And if I don't, uh, God help me, I'm going to find the fucking answer if it kills me. Yeah, well, and I think you and I both have been guilty of that. I have had totally, for, for, totally. You that's know, why I, we do this show. That's why we do. That's why I do what I do, and that's what fuels you in your spiritual quest. You want to call it a spiritual quest? Okay, I'd go ahead. Say, go ahead. I'd Just say do a it. Spiritual quest is exactly what it is. <laughs> You know, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I know that you've worked hard at the game, but I, I promise the audience, I never met anybody that hit, you know, as many golf balls as I did. You know, I mean, I, I just didn't. I never met an amateur that, you know, tried to figure it out as much as I have. But it turns out in the end that it's, George is right, it's not about, you know, golf, you know, how good your swing is, because it never is consistent. You know, I will tell you that in the round of 69, like actually the, the, the day before, I, or the week, like on Wednesday of the day, the week I shot 69, I played men's night and I played from the back tees. 
I've been doing that this year because I wanted to sort of challenge myself a little bit. And I shot 77, made no birdies, five bogeys, 13 pars. Pretty decent round of golf. I mean, it could have been a little bit better. I lipped out a couple of makeable putts. And, you know, a couple things could have gone my way that didn't. And uh, I actually hit it better shooting 77 than I did shooting 69. Now, I had five or six shots in the round of 69 that were, as our friend Dr. Ed say would say, world-class shots. Like, just very, very good. I had five or six, to be honest with you, that... I was lucky. I found it. I hit a couple smother hooks. Um, I had one cut that went through the trees instead of into the trees. You know. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, the point is, if you so not every shot I hit shooting sixty nine was outstanding, but my misses were good. I did hit a couple of very very good shots, and the rest of them, as and we've got, been, and you got lucky. I did get lucky. So what decade says, winning is a matter of luck. It always is, but. My regular shots were were very decent, pretty high level. And so I found myself, <clears throat> you know, two under through the first nine holes. And again, experience has taught me that I've been under par on nine holes. And I know what it feels like. It's exciting. You get that just below your sternum. It starts to activate a little bit. But I, but I, and I told you this talking to you, but I'll tell everyone. So between the ninth hole and the tenth hole, I have to walk by a bunch of people, and I get my water, and I have my chocolate bar, my Prower bar, whatever. And I see somebody that I know, and he's just finished his round. And he says, how's it going, champ? I said, pretty good. I said, how was your round? Right away, I changed the subject. Tells me how it was doing. And I go, great. And then I sort of, as I'm sort of walking and talking, he goes, how you playing? And I said, not bad. Because I know if I stop and tell him, Oh, man, I'm playing great. You know, I'm two under. Could have been three, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden, I'm writing the story of the day before it's over. And I just know that now from this show, from experience. So what I wanted to share with everyone is I put a lot of things into play that we talk about here. You know, I made sure on the back nine that I was very deliberate around the ball. I made sure I didn't hit a shot. <clears throat> that I wasn't ready to hit. I was. I sort of doubled down on that. I was keeping my mental scorecard for the day. I had ninety five percent. It's the highest I've ever had. Which Sweet. means I gave myself a score out of on, out of if the par is four, I was four out of four or three out of four, or whatever the you know. So on the back nine, I was aware that I was now two under through eleven and twelve. I didn't make my first bogey on the day until the thirteenth hole, and I was just aware that this was happening. And what I did is I just, you know, I did what you we've talked about. I, I walked so I could feel my feet. I looked up at the sky. I looked, When other people were playing or hitting their shots, I was, at one point, I was like trying to count, this is going to sound weird, but I was trying to count the branches on this one tree because my mind was going ahead to the, the email that would come out, you know, low gross Howard Glassman. The, you know what I mean? How cool that would be. And I would think those thoughts. And it's totally natural to think that stuff. So I'd think those thoughts, and then I'd say, okay, no, let's get back now. And then I would walk, and I'd do my breathing. And all these things that have, have, we, that have evolved to the point where, you know, at some point in the round, I was resigned. Like at that, I, I'd made the bogey as one under. I'm like, let's just see what happens. And on the 16th hole, I hit, that was one of my best shots of the day. I hit a, an eight iron on a par three to about a grip to length. It looked like it was going in. So I had a birdie there on 16. The next hole is a par five. I hit it in two. I two-putted for birdie. Now I'm three under. And I know all I have to do is par the last hole. Hit a terrible drive. <laughs> like I pull smothered it. 
but I got lucky and it didn't go into the big stuff. I was just in the, the, the rough. Then I pull smothered an eight iron because I didn't want it to go in the burn because that's then the, show, the hole's over. I'm making bogey. Then I smother this eight iron and unfortunately, I thought it was pin high left, but it was on the edge of a of second bunker that I always forget is there. And so I got an awkward stance and I don't hit a good chip. For the day, I got up and down five or six times. So that, again, short game is important. But that time, I hit a kind of a, 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 a indifferent chip because I didn't want it running off the green, and I hit it to 20 feet. And this is true. I got a 20-foot putt for birdie, and I know what it's for, but I go you through my... par. I'm sorry, for par. I go through my process, and just like I was taught in decade, I wasn't trying to sink the putt. Swear to, tr- swear to God. Because by trying to sink a 20-footer, I would have run it three or four feet by. You know, like, oh, I've got to sink this. I just said, you know what? Hit the putt. Make it the right speed. Whatever. And I, I hit my putt. Yeah. I did my. I kept my head down for a second. I looked up just in time to see it three or four feet from the hole right in the middle of the cup, and it goes in. But it went in because I was not trying to run it by or got to get this. And then it was over. And to your point, I'm walking to my car. The guys I was playing with were like, that was great. Great round. They went off to have a beer. I had to go to Rachel because, you know, we're having dinner. And um, I was like, I was excited, but I wasn't, to be honest with you, it was a little bit like, okay, well, that was cool. I got through it. And I was. It was exciting. And I had the feeling in my stomach for the last two hours. And I was still able to swing. And that was it, you know. And then the next, you know, the next week I played some good golf and shot 87 as well. So that's it. That's and my you're story. Still the same decent, Ish. still the same <laughs> decent, sweet person that we all know and love, regardless well, of what you get shoot. carried away. Yeah, thank you for that. No, but it's really interesting that that again, if we go back to the "I'll be happy when," and and, and in all parts of our lives i shoot 69 you know i'll be ecstatic and, and the world will change and it'll be sunshine every freaking day no that doesn't happen i got to promote to the job that i've been been yearning for got that yep well <laughs> you wake up the next day i got the promotion but i still got this issue with my 14 year old <laughs> that's you right know, i still got this pain in my in your head life continues on yeah but yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, we won't. Go, we'll we'll, uh, we'll save the hip story for later. But one of the things I wanted to delve into was your process for dealing with the possibility that you could shoot sixty nine. Because because after you shot the sixty nine, we had a, a great conversation. And what I would like you to go through is is how you kind of kept the thoughts kind of about going into the future, again, about the email that would go out and that you could possibly win. Um, So tell us the story of how you kind of of kept the thoughts in abeyance, if you will, by engaging. Yeah, well, and that was one of the things I I called you. I said, you know, I I kind of hearkened back to a show years ago and, you you know, I was miserable after a bad round and you said, well, hey, maybe next round, why don't you try and, you know, be a good partner. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, that was your intention. The intention was to be the best partner you've ever yeah, to And I'm usually pretty good, but you know, it's all, I sort of faked it at the time where I'd be like, oh, great shot, Tim. But I'm really thinking, why can't I hit a forearm? So, um, 
<laughs> so, oh, I, I, you know, again, the round was kind of going on, and, and we play a team game. So I was partnered with a very good player as well. Um, and so I knew our, we, were, well, we were all kind of playing okay. I think the other guys in my group shot like 77, 80, and 81. So they were all good players. And, um, but as it was coming down toward the end, I'm like, I've really got to be careful. I don't kind of close in on myself. And I'm, again, I, I've been in, it's what I, I, I want everyone to understand. I, I know it sounds like I'm bragging or what do they kids call it? Flexing. But there's a lesson in this. The lesson is that whether you're about to break 80 or 70 or 90, you're going to have this feeling. And it's just below your sternum. You know, you get a little butterfly excited. And I just started doing what I have learned to do as a tournament player and as a good golfer. I went, okay, what am I going to need to do? Well, I'm going to make, make sure I'm slow around the ball. I'm not going to hit a ball until I'm ready. I'm not going to hit a putt until I'm comfortable. But I'm going to talk to these guys. I'm going to ask them questions. I'm going to have them talk to me. On the last three holes, I finished birdie, birdie, par, and we had an ongoing conversation that literally just happened in between shots. Not constantly, but pretty consistently. Even the last hole, we after I had sort of smothered this three-wood on nine there at Leithfield, and I knew it was okay, so I wasn't too panicking. I knew I was going to be able to, you know, it was like 150, 60 from the green. So I asked the guy that we were playing with, I said, well, tell me about this thing. I wanted him to talk to me as we were walking because by listening to him, I wasn't thinking about what this par was going to mean to me. And so those are some of the things I did. I talked about the way I breathed, the way that I was taught to look at the horizon by dueling, the way I was taught to feel the earth and, and also not try and do anything. Like I didn't do anything all that special. And again, if you'd seen me play the round, it wouldn't have looked much different than the round of 77 or to be honest with you, even the round of 87. I shot 87 because I had a couple of big numbers on a few holes, but mostly I hit it okay. I just couldn't concentrate, which is again, a good lesson for me and others that and I said this at the beginning of the season this year, not every day is going to be your best day. Why, why would you expect, you don't, you don't have it in life, why would you expect every golf day to be fabulous? I just expect every golf day to be a challenge for me, and I'm always curious, like, how am I going to show up, you know? Like I said yesterday, I hit my first shot into the water, and there's the kind of, you can drop it there, it's Leithfield 1. You can drop it there back far enough that you can maybe launch something over the trees, but I thought, you know, Howard, let's not start the deal like that. You know, because then I'm going to hit the trees. It's going to go back in the burn. I'm going to make a quad. (laughs) I don't need it. I thought, okay, I'll hit it there. And if I make a double, fine. I didn't, but I I was open to the possibility. The point is, I wasn't doing anything so differently than I do most days. It just happened that on that day, you know, and and Scott Fawcett of uh, Decade, have a drink. One of the things he said that I, I want everyone to listen to is this. It's easier in golf to not do things than to do things. And the meaning of that is you can say you want to make four birdies. It's pretty hard. It's really hard to, I made four birdies that day. It's hard, but it's easier not to make triples, doubles, and quads. It is easier. It's easier to practice your, your long range putting to eliminate your three putts. Everyone can do that. You know, you can teach somebody, Tim can teach you how to be a good to decent putter doesn't take a lot of skill. It does take practice. So it's easier not to make mistakes and have penalties and try hero shots and all those things that, that turn your scores into higher scores. 
So that's what I did. I, I just tried to uh, make sure I hit to the, the fatter side of the greens. I left myself in a position where if I missed a green, I got up and down. And um, I'll tell you, I've been looking at my stats. I've now entered enough rounds on the Decade app to see where I'm, where I'm strong and where I'm, I'm, you know, I'm losing some shots. And the reason I'm scoring so low is that my short game is very, very good. You know, I've worked really hard at getting to be a good chipper, pitcher, and putter. And, uh, you know, it's the, I'm not hitting the ball any different than I did last year, but I've already had two of my lowest scores at Glen Karen in nine years. So yeah, that's and that it. just tells you whether you're a hundred shooter or a scratch player. When you work on your short game, when you when you make that investment, there's dividend. Yes, you know, and you you want to get better at this game. If you truly, if if one of the reasons why you play golf is to shoot lower scores, then you work on you work on your short game. You. But but let me ask yeah, you, you let me ask you, Coach. I'm sorry, I was going to ask you a question. You, you, you go first. I well, I just want to revisit because uh, I, I think there's such a great learning piece. What you talked about in terms of yes, so in your head, you, and it happens to everyone. I, you know that you, first time you're going to beat your brother-in-law. You're, you're in a you're in a doubles match, and you you got a four footer, and you want to make it so that you don't disappoint your partner. All these thoughts, and this is the stuff that that makes us self interfere. Yes, this makes us you know I'm going to grind on this. I'm going to make sure that I don't lift my head today or whatever. All that stuff just gets our own way we get tense you know, our emotions up and down so how do we deal with that and so we talk about being present but a lot of people don't even know what really that means but i think what you articulated is a perfect example of being present so you were aware you were aware okay i got the score going this could happen today today could be the day i shoot 69 whatever but what you did you responded by listening your partners and when you're fully listening you're using the sense of 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 using a, one of your sensations listening and you're in the present moment yes you're hearing their words you're seeing their face you're looking what happens at their eye that you notice that he winked at you when he said a certain word he punctuated a certain word you're in the present moment and one of the things about our brains is that they can only focus on one thing at a time. And so you can use that to your advantage by using your senses like you talked about. It could be listening, your present. It could be looking at the birds, the trees, your present. You're in the present moment. It could be feeling the ground underneath your feet, your present. And that's just a nice place to be. And everything just sort of chills out. You know, the waves on the lake kind of slow, you know, dissipate and, and just things get calmer mm-hmm. and that's where great things can happen because we're divorced from story we're not we're not worried we're not in the future we're not regretting we're not ruminating about the past yeah um you know it's funny because I, I it's hard for all of us i mean every golfer no matter what you're shooting you sort of have a sense of kind of where you're at and and i knew what i was in terms of under par but i had an interesting weird thing actually for me because i'm so you know, into what, what happened is I didn't remember, this is true on the back nine, I was kind of going along. And, uh, after I made the bogey, I was like, I wasn't really sure where on the front nine I made birdie. I was like, even though it only happened a couple hours ago, like I didn't, I couldn't have told you the holes I made birdie on. 
I had to actually think about it, which was a very different place for me to be. I'm going to jump in. Yeah. What that tells, tells me is that in terms of your kind of mental discipline and what you've learned about mindfulness around your golf is that it didn't matter. Yeah. Well, it, it didn't it, matter. Yeah, I mean, or were, I wasn't it, caught up in the remember when I did that kind of thing. And exactly, because it didn't matter. So you had, you just kind of like, well, I could go into that, but why expend the energy? <laughs> yeah. Why bother? Because cause that's part of focus in golf is being able to come in and out, in and out in an easy way. But if you go, it's like when you get angry. You just expend a lot of energy, and now you've got to come back. And it's the same with when when we're thinking well into the future or into the past. It's harder to come back to the present. You know uh, what I was going to ask you is, you know, if somebody said to you, "Hey Tim, I want you to I want to work with you," and you say, "Well, what do you want out of golf?" and they say, "Well, I want to get better." Uh, I I would think that one of the follow ups for me would be, "What does better look like? What does better mean?" Exactly. To you, because if we're all being honest, you know, whether you're Rudra or Brad or any of the guys that listen to us, our new listeners, Scott, um, if we're all being honest, we want to shoot a lower score. You know, again, that Golf oh. Galaxy commercial, inside every golfer is, uh, is somebody who suspects they're better than they are. But I think that, you know, I think if you quantify what better is, it's not only why you play golf, because you enjoy the camaraderie, hitting all that, but uh, if I wanted to get better, well, then let's, let's devise a plan to suit what, what better means to you. You know, like if it, if it just means happier, well, that's a whole different conversation. You know, and, and some people never want to be in tournaments because, you know what, it, it's sort of, a, it's not for everybody. It's a bit aggravating. It's stressful. It's or, stressful. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I will tell you on Tuesday playing 36 holes of tournament golf and I look around at some of the competition and Dave Bunker's there and this guy, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the ranks was playing and Charles is playing and all my Tim Southcott, all these guys. Like, it gets me excited. And I will tell you, I was so, I was telling my friend Paul Henrik, I said, you know, that first tee shot, this is where I'll finish. That first tee shot on Tuesday, yeah, I was a little bit excited. You know, I shot 69. I'm feeling pretty good about my golf game. But I decided on that first tee, I wasn't going to back into the round and go, tee, I hope I wave one out there. I literally got up and took one of the hardest swings I have ever taken on the first tee of a tournament, and I just ripped it down the middle. Because I was, I was I also going to accept if it went askew, because often they do. You know, that's what I would say. My golf ball goes all over the place, whether I'm trying to steer it or I'm just swinging like crazy. But I will tell you, I got up on that first tee and I'm like, let's go to play golf starting now. Mostly my life in tournaments has been like, okay, I'll just like sneak up on golf and hopefully it won't notice I'm here for two or three holes. <laughs> you know, I've told the story about my first tee shot at the Canadian Seniors two years ago. I hit so far behind the ball, I'm surprised it moved at all. Like I was so tentative. And, and that's what I would sort of, my takeaway now is, you know, just... It is going, golf is going to happen whether you're, you know, steering it or you're in your head or you're trying to feel the club head, you know, that, that finally over a golf ball now, it's taken me years, finally over the ball, I'm not thinking about what I'm trying to do with my golf swing. Yeah, it's a little notion in the back, you know, when I take my practice swings, 
I'm like, okay, I'm trying oh, to yeah. feel something. There's a notion of it. But man, I am I am a recovered swing thought aholic because I used to never be I Tim, I've played golf and so have you, where I couldn't pull the trigger on the on the shot because I was trying to go through because I'd forgotten what my swing thought was. Yeah, you forgot your mantra. Forgot, forgot my <laughs> my 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 little safety, my little sus, my little whatever, you know. Yeah, I know, and a lot of people cannot imagine what you're talking about. What do you mean? You mean you took a swing without thinking that you were going to uh, transfer your weight, or yeah, you're going to do this? Uh, there's, I, I'm sure that most of our listeners, if they're really honest with themselves, have never taken a swing without going like, okay. Today, right now, I'm going to swing in rhythm, or I'm going to finish my backswing, or whatever. really, it's it's just a completely different experience. Where I'm going to connect that to, what you're experiencing is much freer than the whole thing of I've got to do this, and oh, please God, keep it on the planet, or don't go in the fescue, or hit it behind the ball. Yeah. What I think what you're you're experiencing to some degree, and this is how I interpret it, is that you're now experiencing in your golf and maybe even in different parts of your life more freedom. And where I'm going to even connect it more is the the I'll be happy when thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, a whole society. See, if you go to Indigo, what's the biggest section of books? How to be happy. All this stuff, these smiling, happy people, as REM saying. Mm-hmm. Well, to me... Uh, the road to misery would be try to be happy all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's not being human. Human is one day I'm pissed off, next day I'm angry, I'm feeling shame. One day I'm feeling good. I mean, it's the whole it, go, it goes with the skin bag. But to me, I think what we're really looking for in many ways, and in golf's a, such a wonderful metaphor for this, is more freedom. More freedom just to let go of the story, I need to do this, or I'm that, or whatever. And I, I have a sense that, that that that's the opportunity golf presents, yeah. is to be more free in your body, swing with some freedom, feel it good, and, and to be free from the thoughts. And again, if we come back to awareness that George mentioned, awareness could be, I'm standing on the third tee and say, I'm five over, Oh shit! The day is done. Wait a sec. No, it's not. Yeah. I don't have to be. I don't need to be caught in that habitual behavior. I'm aware that I'm thinking that. Well, you know what? I'm going to talk to my buds. I'm going to have some fun, and we'll see what happens. You know, one of the things that impresses me most about tour players and elite amateurs, and I'm talking about amateurs way beyond my ability, is and I, and I and I think when I when I would I would say to our friends listening, when you watch somebody on TV have a bad hole, and for a tour player, a bad hole might be a bogey on a par five. If you ever see a tour player do that, they're pissed, or or even a couple of holes where they make a double or or a disaster hole. Just the way they conduct themselves going forward, I I think. I think that's available to anyone, whether you shoot, you know, eighty-eight or sixty-nine. It's available to to how you behave is a choice. You can you can do that, and uh, you know we talked ad nauseum on this show about you know we both have had big disaster holes and come back, blah blah blah. But that is the secret sauce. There is how do you respond? Now it's easy, and I, and again I know what people I can always hear people say, oh easy for you, you shoot, you know. it's not easy or. 
It's the same game. And I, that's why I preface this all by saying, if you had seen five or six of the shots I hit that Saturday, you'd be like, well, I'd guys, you know, not they were, they weren't horrible. They just weren't great. They just weren't good. They were, you know, they were good, bad ones. But I still made bad swings, even though my intention was to swing with freedom, blah, blah, blah. I know I keep saying that. You, you are going to hit bad shots. You know, the, the, the better days that you're going to score is when your bad shots are a little bit better. Because we all, you know, my old, think of my older brothers who, you know, both shoot in the 80s and the early 90s. On every round of golf they play, they hit some really good shots. Everyone listening hits some good shots. So it's, it's just easier not to make your, to have your bad shots not be as bad. You know, if there's a hole that you don't like, don't hit driver on it. Just hit your hybrid and just get it out there. Because, you know, it really is true, decade alert. If you make bogeys instead of doubles and doubles instead of triples and don't three-putt as much and maybe not hit as many in the hazard, you will score lower. And, and to wrap this all up, it, and if that's what you want, which is what better means to most people, then do it. That's all attainable for us. You don't have to hit it like I do or you do or you know Charles does, but it's attainable. To score better is the easiest thing to do, but it takes it's the hardest thing to teach. It's discipline. That's what scoring is. That's the D in decade, discipline. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say when you uh, decided after you hit it into the burn on your first hole, you put you put some DD to work. Oh yeah, decade discipline. You just went, okay, I'm not going to hit the hero shot. Pitch out. I did that last night. yeah, I did that last night. Um, I had a good back nine going at Blue Springs. Um, hit through the fairway. And I kind of looked and went, well, might Nope. <laughs> nope. <clears throat> and I just pitched it out <clears throat> almost sideways. Yeah. Almost sideways. Made a bogey. It's always the right thing okay. to do. Yeah. And especially if you're playing at your home course this weekend and it's one of the hardest holes in the golf course, believe me, making bogey on it loses you not a full shot. It's not a full shot. It's not like you lost a shot to the field. You just lost half a shot. But a, a double yep. bogey is a shot and a half. Tim, thank you for your time and attention to this day. Um, we're going to put up a question. I guess we'll do it tomorrow on our Facebook page. The U.S. Open is going on this weekend. This is our big U.S. Open special. And uh, um, we've got a cap and some tailor-made golf balls. We'll give away two of those prize packs. And uh, we'll put up a, uh, a, a question on our Facebook page. Now, last time it didn't work that well. Did it, is it because we didn't ask it on the show? I think so. So do we want to come up with a question? Well, okay, maybe we make it like, uh, what was the score uh, that Howard shot that taught him the most? And the answer will be 87. Okay? How about that? There you go. I love that. Okay. I love that. I, I thought you were going to go something like, who's the defending champion? But I would no, say... No, because I like wanted good... to be a have to have listened to the show to get that... Uh... I know. Well, you know what? Did you ever teach school or anything? Because what you're saying is, hey, listeners, you had to have been listening right. <laughs> to know the answer. Yes. Well, I, I would have taught school, but I only got to grade 11. <clears throat> so that's not true. Grade 12. But I didn't graduate. Uh, thank you very much to TaylorMade Golf. Uh, the Sim 2 driver. The uh, Between the super speed swing training and this driver, I hit this T 
he shot yesterday on the last hole. It was grotesque how far it went. I was like, Jesus, what's it doing way up there? Um, Sim two irons, of course. One shot. Why can't it be five or ten or even 50 shots that keep you coming back? That's what we're talking about with the all-new Sim 2 irons. And, of course, the TP5 of ball. TaylorMadeGolf.ca. JWApparelInc.com. Speaking of uh, websites, what are you up to these days, Mr. O'Connor? Really excited that me and Nathan Robinson at – he's a – director of golf at rattlesnake point we're putting on a morning workshop on your short game called quiet mind how to play better without focusing on your technique i think that's the title anyways you got some yeah, spots it's not long couple- enough make it longer <laughs> yeah, no, we well, we're trying to work in the benefit no i get it i you love play it play better without changing your technique so we got yeah. some room for that so go to my website o'connorgolf.ca uh for a way that you can participate uh in that next week next uh 23rd. Uh, HumbleandFredRadio.com, Golf Spiritual Leader. I'll be back uh, with Freddie on uh, Monday, and then we're going to be taking some time off in the next couple of weeks, so uh, catch up on some shows. We'll see you all next time. Thanks to George McNamara as well. well now you step inside.